Uh, I used to work at this club in Nottingham and they used to make us go on the pole like so many times in one night. And one day I was eating some fried chicken. Um, so I just got on stage and sat there and ate my fried chicken instead of pole dancing. <laughs> wow, that's like a piece of avant-garde right? performance what was art. That? Did people tip? No. <laughs> <laughs> rotisserie chicken impressionist Shandoxy. In this episode, I'm talking to Carmen Ali, aka April Fiasco. Carmen is a stand-up comedian, stripper, burlesque artist, co-founder of virtual socialist strip club Cybertease, and artistic director of Sexquisite Events. We talk about learning to pole dance by working in strip clubs instead of in a studio, why the Labour Party is so backwards on sex worker rights, running your own strip club as a workers' cooperative, and the transformative power of sex workers owning the narrative about themselves. Do please send this episode to your leftist friends and feminists who are still confused about sex worker stuff. And for any Tory or right-wing friends, I mean, okay, let's be real, none of them are listening to my show. But if you are, please give me some money. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash shandoxy. You can buy the pot of coffee or give us a shout out on social media. For now, here's Carmen. Hello, Carmen Ali, also known as burlesque legend April Fiasco. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Shan. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How, um, how is the move out of lockdown and COVID life going for you? Yeah, okay. Like, it's really good to be back doing live shows again. Like, it's really fun. But I think I've gone, like, right back into things and then now realising that I need some time to myself and I'm, like, sometimes missing lockdown a bit. But mm. I, I also don't want it back. <laughs> so, yeah, I just need to have a balance. You said you went to a stand-up gig this week. How is being back in the live comedy scene? It hasn't really changed that much. There were still loads of disappointed male comedians and <laughs> reluctant audience members, so... <laughs> Nature is healing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about pole. How has pole featured in your life? Well, I started pole dancing when I was about 20, when I first started working in a strip club. So basically, I went to the strip club and they were like, well, just ask the other girls to teach you some pole tricks. <laughs> but that's how I started learning how to pole dance. So just working in clubs like on and off did you learn from copying the other girls just copying the other dancers yeah they and and to be honest the first club I worked at was quite small so like a lot of the girls were quite helpful they were like oh I'll show you a trick this is how you do it and that's how I learned um but I also only ever learnt, learnt things on my right hand so when I go to classes and they're like now do it on your other side I'm like what the fuck what do you mean <laughs> how do I do that I don't understand um 
but yeah, it just kind of learned that way. But I know I've worked with many strippers over the years who don't do any sort of pole tricks. They just saunter around the pole looking sexy and just like dance a little bit and men don't care. Let's yeah, be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so pole, but also just having to work the stage as a stripper. Do you think that that's helped you as a comedian and a burlesque performer elsewhere? Yeah, probably, because like, it doesn't seem so intimidating when people are like, oh, my God, how do you get on stage and tell jokes? I'm like, I got on stage at a strip club when I was 20 and got my tits out. So, like, this is really nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love asking comedians about this as a kind of schadenfreude. Do you think you've bombed in strip clubs in the way that comedians would bomb on stage? Is it a similar experience? It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel as soul-destroying. I feel like you're just like, no, I guess they're not into it. I'll just walk around the pole and like, whatever, la, 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 flash my knickers. I don't know. Like, whereas when you're actively on stage trying to make people laugh and making eye contact with people and they're like, no, babe, what are you doing? I guess there's also a difference of in a strip club, the stage show is not really the aim, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just like something for people to watch when they're sitting down and like it's supposed to advertise you but actually Mm. the way that you make money is usually by talking guys into submission and making them go for dance (laughs) but it has sometimes someone will see you on stage and be like oh I just watched the stage show you're really hot so like it does work but not as much of the time as people think it does I also think there's much more of a culture in America and US clubs of like the stage show like that's a really Mm. big thing but in the UK it doesn't seem to be as much of a big thing especially as men are so reluctant to tip it's just like mm. yeah there is just yeah. this hostility to parting with money and yeah I think there's that image people have of hustlers where the stage is just like flooded with dollar bills I wish I wish it was yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> I guess the flip side is that like you said it's sort of the the stage show is just an advertising window really it's like it just keeps stuff happening in the club and then the way you actually make money is in the private dances and the other stuff so that's kind of good that it doesn't disadvantage people who are maybe less confident as dancers but might be really good private yeah that's true that's true yeah I just think it's funny what the impression is that it's like it seems like people think pole dancing is like 90% of the job when actually it's maybe yeah 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 so you're right yeah Chat, yeah, yeah. Like the, the 80%. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned taking a couple of classes as well as just mm. mostly learning on the job um, and while on stage. Do you think there is a really big difference between stripper style pole and the kind of pole that is taught in studios? Yeah, I guess it depends whose classes you go to because I, I will sometimes go to classes that are taught by actual strippers. So when we do like a a pole choreo class that is a bit more sexy um but yeah I do sometimes see videos on Instagram and I'm like that's not pole dancing what are you mm. doing you've really sanitized it and like of course everybody has their own style and the way that they dance and the way they move but I guess there is something inherently sexy about the pole and like it's weird when you see people dancing around it like they're doing gymnastics I've just seen it where like there'll be no like you know like when you watch strippers dance like even when we're transitioning to the moves there might be a little sexy hip flick or a little kind of like hip roll or just the way you move is very different and sometimes you'll see people who've never done stripping presumably 
dance around a pole and the way they'll fit the moves together there won't be that little sexiness in between it will be mm. I don't know like it doesn't quite connect sometimes because they're trying to do yeah like and it's not even that they're doing like circusy pole because obviously that's a different kind of pole it's just that they're they look uncomfortable with the pole <laughs> I'm like why are you pole dancing if you don't love the pole <laughs> And do you think all those little details, is that something that strippers learn from live audiences? I think you just learn it from having to feel time on stage. And like, <laughs> you know, you can't always do trick, trick, trick. You want to just, sometimes you just do that little sexy thing in the middle. Um, but it, even when you see strippers who do very like trick-based stuff, they will still be a sexiness to it if that makes sense, even if they're doing very like complex upside down stuff and that sort of thing. I was really scared of going to a pole studio. I say scared. I was like nervous because I just had this ego thing of like, oh no, but they're all going to be better than me at like technique stuff. But I've done the other, I've done the other stuff. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And then I felt weird. I was kind of like, why am I anxious in this environment? I've got nothing to prove to another, you know, just like a nice bunch of people doing pole dancing. But yeah, um, yeah it was it was a weird one. It's weird to feel excluded from the thing that is actually something that we pioneered. Do you know what I mean? It's weird how it's been like taken over by the mainstream. It's something that, I mean, what I want to do with this podcast is talk to everyone who does pole for whatever mm. reason, because I think like, there's something in it for everyone. And it's to- like it's totally fine if you're not a stripper and you do pole. That of course that's totally fine. But I just think as long as you're not anti-stripper and you don't try to distance yourself from strippers, there's like a difference. How would you challenge people who are, for example, using the hashtag not a stripper in their pole life on Instagram and trying to distance it from the stripper roots? I would just say that's really inappropriate. Your cultural, you're using cultural appropriation, basically. You're taking something mm. from a marginalised group and trying to make it your own and then trying to ignore that group. So, like, you don't have to do that and hashtag not a stripper. You can just be like, oh, I'm doing pole dance. And that doesn't, you don't have to distance yourself to be into that thing. Why do you care so much about people not thinking that you're a stripper? And I get it because... Obviously, there's so much stigma about doing sex work. But if you're going to do something that was, yeah, like I said, pioneered by that group, then why do you want to distance yourself from that stigma? It's kind of a bit rude. And it's very privileged to be like, oh, well, I'm a pole dancer, but I'm not a stripper. So please don't put me in that box. Um, rather than just saying I'm a pole dancer and let's support all pole dancers and all strippers and like fuck anyone who wants to criticise that. The cultural appropriation thing you mentioned is such a big deal. I think it it furthers that divide between people who pole dance because they need to make money versus people who can spend money on pole dancing. The classes are really expensive. Like, pole dancing yeah. classes are quite, I don't go to that many classes. So the, the fact that some of these people have got so good just by going to two or three classes every week, I'm like, wow, I've, been, I've got... <laughs> say good to a reasonable extent by having to work at the club two to three times a week to make money also the thing you said about playing for time when you're dancing in a club mm. you're going to have to be doing a stage routine 
a couple of times over maybe an eight to ten hour shift so it would yeah. be stupid to pull out really yeah yeah well yeah like four or five times in a night because I don't think they realize you know yeah you use the word sanitized mm-hmm. as um a descriptor of how now pole has gone more in the mainstream there's yeah. a like yeah just like a pushing away people are just scared of like sex and sex work and being associated with it and having associated stigma that is a massive problem I found it really helpful to talk to people who are either uh former sex workers or current sex workers um quite honestly about that because there are things about stripping that I really loved I mostly was quite mediocre (laughs) at it but the thing that I remember most was this like constant paranoia about you know family just Mm -hmm. kind of finding out what I was doing and it was stupid because I was like well you know financially things are better for me but Mm. mentally I'm ugh and it's like it's so damaging that it's that stigma that weighs on people which is all absorbed actually the work is fine (laughs) yeah yeah it's the sometimes the work is is not the problem it's the way people perceive you for doing that work and people like people who are against sex work don't want people to do sex work because they think oh, it's perpetuating the objectification of women. Oh, it's um, playing into the patriarchy. Or like, they will say stuff like, oh, women get assaulted at the strip club or when they're doing um, bookings or whatever. And it's like, but women get assaulted by men anyway in all walks of life. Like sex work just um, like puts, shines a light on it. But it's not, sex work is not the problem. Men are the problem. Mm. And how men view women is the problem. Maybe you've had this experience as well, but some of the people I've spoken to who are the most kind of, ugh, no, about sex work or stripping, whatever, if you then have a few drinks with them, they will mention that they did a bit of sugaring at university or that there is, they've done camming, that there is this side that... Yeah, I don't know. Some of the swerfs on Twitter are are ex-sex workers, aren't they? But Mm. I find that most of them don't really understand anything about sex work or don't really know anything about sex work. It's it's complicated because there are so many women in the Labour Party who don't support sex workers um, because they identify as radical feminists and apparently that's not, that doesn't work with sex work, I don't know. Whereas like, clearly the Conservative Party don't hate sex workers as much because they haven't in the Nordic model and if they wanted to they could have done so it's like it's interesting that when you're at a point where you're like mm, do I really want Labour to get in if they're gonna um, make sex workers rights even harder so yeah. I found that so disheartening in the run-up to the last general election I mean there were lots of things that were disheartening in the run-up to the last general election I but then I didn't really know that like so many Labour MPs were anti-sex work to be honest but only in the last couple of years I've like seen it online and I've become more I guess more into activism myself so then I've seen more of it but I had no mm. idea like how swerfy they were I remember seeing a decrim activist in the run-up to the last general election tweeting that sex workers live in fear of a Labour government because, as you said, the Conservatives won't bring in... It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. So, like, it's very conflicting because, on the one hand, sex workers are like, fuck the Tories, like... And then, on the other hand, you're like, oh, but Labour's so anti-sex work, 
is it really bad that I don't mind that the toys are still here? Am I a bad socialist? I mean, I probably am anyway. But, like, it really made me rethink my whole, like, political things. And it's, like, it's a trade-off, isn't it? Yeah, same. And um, I felt really conflicted. Also a bit frustrated because the main driver of a lot of people into sex work is immediate economic need. Yeah. Right? It's poverty, <laughs> insufficient childcare. So it seems to be a real lack of joined up thinking. Yeah. That people, so for example, women labor MPs who are swerfs mm. who um, put forward something like universal free childcare, great. One of the reasons that a lot of people are in sex work is because there isn't free yeah. childcare. So, so why don't why don't those two things come together as like Sense. we'll support sex workers because this is the need? Yeah. Why do you think there is this ongoing problem, especially on the left, with sex workers? I think it's not a problem with sex workers. It's a problem with men, but it then becomes deflected onto sex workers. So. These radical feminists are uncomfortable with the way that men disrespect women and treat women and view women, which is fine because we're all uncomfortable with that. But the solution is not to blame sex workers for that. It's not to be like, well, you shouldn't be doing sex work then. You're, you know, making this problem worse. It's not that. We should be allowed to do whatever the fuck we want. If men are going to objectify us and treat us badly anyway, then we might as well make money from it. Mm -hmm. And what they also don't realise is that not all sex workers are women. There's a lot of male sex workers and trans sex workers, and they often get left out of the conversation by these radical feminists. Um, And they think of it in very binary terms, like it's only men who are clients and women who are sex workers, Uh, which just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and it's it's basically victim blaming. Like, I, I hate it when they say stuff like, oh, prostitution is paid rape, because that just doesn't make any sense. And it, I, I get really angry and I tweet them back, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense, because if you think it's paid rape, then you're basically saying that a sex worker can never withdraw their consent during a booking, which is obviously not true. Like, you still have to consent to every part of that booking and everything that you do. It's not... So like it's like they want us to be raped. Do you see what I mean? It's mm. like it's sometimes it's like they enjoy like demeaning us and like being like, oh, you're victims, oh, you're used, like criticizing us for the way that men treat women, which just doesn't make any sense. Mm. And like using really derogatory language, language, like, and I, I like I wrote an article about this actually for Bus Monkey magazine. I think you have to pay to buy the issue that it's in but it's, if you look it up it will be there or I can I can tell you which one it is and you can add it at the end of the show um oh for sure happy to plug Brass Monkey magazine as well <laughs> um, but basically I wrote uh, an article about how you know when these people say they want us to leave sex work they want us to do something else when they say oh you're poor victims oh you're prostituted women blah 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 but get, get another job do they really think that that makes employers want to employ us by saying those things about us? Mm. But if you say that we're business women who provide a service and just do our thing, just like everyone else who provides a service, then that's going to make us more employable. Like why? It's like they grind us down to nothing and then go, we don't want you to do this job 
but now we've like spoken about you in such a way that no one else is probably going to want you to work for them either so it just doesn't make sense and it's very classist I think like the a lot of the people who are anti-sex worker middle class um people who would who've never had to worry about money or never had to work a minimum wage job and be like fuck this I'm just going to do some sex work instead like so it's just such a it's just a very out of touch um opinion I think and also whenever sex workers try to talk to these women about stuff they don't listen to us so they pretend it's like it's the guys of caring about us but actually they don't they only care about how women are perceived in general and how they think us acting in a certain way affects the way that they're perceived but actually they don't care if we live or die or get arrested or get sacked from other jobs or have like terrible stigma all the time because of the way the language that they use about us they don't realize that they're actually part of the problem do you think there's also something in people's understanding of work as well that there's still this block around ironically a lot of jobs that have typically ended up being the responsibility of women feminized people sort of um Mm. marginalized people like emotional labor care labor there is still this kind of gap in understanding of going no people can monetize that because it's human activity and stigmatizing it is just creating this strange definition of work that doesn't include everything that I mean it's really simple work is just something you get paid to do (laughs) like what I don't know why people are missing this (laughs) it's like why do you care it's nothing to do with you if you don't want to be a sex worker don't be a sex worker no one's forcing you to be a sex worker like you don't have to do that you understand that right but if I want to sell my pictures on OnlyFans what is your problem with it? It does not affect you. It's crazy because I feel like the Tories will never give us full decrim. And like, but like some of the Labour Party would give us full decrim, but the other half of the Labour Party want the Nordic model. So it's like two conflicting things that don't fit together. The Tories are kind of mm. just happy, just let, you know, keeping it under the radar, whatever, just not really giving us less rights or more rights either way. But the label is like, like labels like two extremes put together. It doesn't make any sense. It's yeah, two such opposing policies. And I also like, I don't know why it's okay to be so rude and so discriminatory towards sex workers. If this was any other marginalized group, you would be done for discrimination. The way that some of these people speak about us, like. Why do people think it's okay? Why is there not a rule against warphobia? Why is like, why are we not protected in law from discrimination? For people who are active in other areas of political organizing, so LGBTQ organizing or climate justice, lefty politics in the broadest sense, what is the way that those groups can show solidarity with sex workers? starting to share our stuff and like uh, you will see people who are very active politically on on social media about any other injustice but for some reason we're very quiet when we were worried that the Nordic model was going to come in they just they're so ignorant to our campaigns and to our fight for rights 
but a- any other fight for rights, of course they should share stuff to do as well. Of course you should support all marginalised groups. But why are you supporting everyone else but not sex workers? And like even mm. just when someone says something about sex workers or makes a sweeping generalization like in your friendship group or whatever like challenging that just it kind of starts with talking to other people because I've met people who well like I didn't really know much about sex workers I didn't really know any but like having met you and spoken to you and heard all your stuff like somebody so after we did our writing workshops for sex workers we opened it up um to everyone and obviously we're a sex worker-led organization and one of the participants was like, yeah, I didn't really know that much about it. But having listened to you guys talk and everything, like now I understand why we need full decrim. Now I understand why you don't treat sex workers differently. And it's like, it's not that difficult. Mm. You know, I wish more people were that open minded and were that like, yeah, willing to listen to us. Just listen to us. That's all we want. <laughs> can we go back in time a little bit how did cyber tease happen like literally one of the because we're all in these chats these whatsapp chats and some of us are in the sex workers union and somebody sent out a message saying should we do a virtual strip club and we all went yeah let's do it and then we did the first show on zoom just like randomly put together taught ourselves how to use zoom like set up an event by loads of people came and we were like okay I guess we'll keep doing these then cool so and then it kind of evolved like into us having separate roles that we work on and stuff like social media recruitment yeah that's kind of how it happened and do you think it would transfer from online into real life yeah we want to do like some real life events but um we have done some like go-go dancing for queer house party but it's not quite the same so we need to work out how to put it on in real life I would really like to do an event where we do our spotlights and we do our like showcase like stage show whatever and then we have a pop-up strip club on the side Mm. yeah it is weird this kind of transition out of lockdown because I honestly mostly hate doing shows online I don't know how you found it with online comedy gigs but yours was really good stand-up for sex workers was really good Thank you for being in it and being no great. And you had the audience laughter on, but it didn't seem to get in the way. Like, it was actually fine. I had some some good gigs online and some that were a bit weird, but, like, stripping and dancing and burlesquing online was fine because it's not mm. weird. It's not awkward. You just dance up to the camera and it's like, oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> also, the... I mean, obviously, it's been particularly relevant for me being stranded in Belgium when most of my friends and most of my work is in the UK. I loved how you don't have to think about your train. I know. Or, Put your yeah. makeup on, go go to walk to your living room, set up the Zoom, and then you're there. And then you finish the show and you're at home. It's great. Yeah, yeah. completely, yeah. It's something that's been really wearing me down. Before COVID, about stand-up generally is so much of the mental thinking ends up being is my gig fee going to cover the travel cost and the time I need to take off work and blah 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 yeah and removing that has just been great in the context of cybertees have you ever found that bringing in stripping and lefty politics together is a bit of a weird mix when you're talking to people about workers rights and stuff or was it really straightforward to get other dancers to organize together and pool resources and create an actually socialist strip club 
I think the thing is, is that's how it was from the beginning. So like from the outset, we said this is going to be a co-op and we're going to share all the profits and we're going to, it's going to be like that. Yeah, that's just how it was conceived. So like, obviously it was great to do a show online and do stripping online during lockdown, but it was also about something more than that as well, in a way, like reaching a wider audience and explaining that this is why we need more rights and, and how like, obviously in a mainstream strip club, you'd have to pay a house fee to work there and all that kind of stuff. You don't see any of the door money. Whereas us doing it online meant that we could keep all the ticket sales and all the money that was um, all the tips and all the payment for private dances. So it was like the different medium enabled us to like change the way that the it was set up economically. Yeah, because you didn't have any gatekeepers. Exactly. And obviously that can work in real life because um, some of us performed at Brazilian Wax you did once as well, um, yeah. which is based on, which the first year, I don't think they did the workers' co-op, but last, just before lockdown, we did it as a workers' co-op that time, and it works really well. So it can work, but only in these kind of one-off pop-up events, like in mainstream strip clubs, that model doesn't exist. Also where people have a willingness to be flexible, because I remember that one Brazilian wax, mm. the two organisers, they just realised that the setup wasn't really working. Yeah, yeah. About, yeah, it was like two hours yeah. in and they went, hang on, this isn't really working. So they just changed the system. I can't remember yeah, how they that was adjusted great. it. Totally, we went to them and said, this is not working, can you help? And they changed it. And actually, so the second year, it was much better because people had to pay on the door and had to buy a certain amount of tipping dollars. And then that money all went to us as well. So they they even improved it for the next time. But yeah. obviously, you know, Jo, who runs Brazilian Wax, is also a stripper. So she knows how to support strippers. And if somebody asks for something, then she wants to accommodate that. Whereas like, you know, strip club bosses are not, it's not really the same. How did Sexquisite come about? Uh, so my business partner, Maeve Joy, set up Sexquisite a couple of years ago um, in response to the Foster Sesta bill in the US, which was restricting um, online sex workers and sex workers from being ad- being able to advertise online and all that kind of censorship stuff. Um, and she was like, I want to run an event where sex workers are performers and they do like pole dancing, burlesque, comedy, theatre, whatever. And um, she put a call out and was like, I'm looking for a host or comedian. And I replied to it. We went for a coffee. She was like, oh, I'm thinking about calling it Exquisite. What do you think? And I was like, I think you should call it Sexquisite. She was like, yeah, that's great. And then she was like, do you want to host the show? And I was like, yeah. For the first two um, shows, I was, um, well, I'm like the resident host. But then, oh, when was it? I guess the end of 2019, she was like, oh, should we run um, some writing workshops for sex workers? I want to apply for lottery funding. So we applied for lottery funding and they gave us some money to run um, writing workshops specifically designed for sex workers. I think we did like one in real life and then lockdown happened. So we ended up moving mm. online and it was great in a way because actually we could access sex workers who were in other parts of the world who were able to join the workshops that wouldn't have been able to. That's amazing. After that, I think Maeve was like, oh, do you want to you know, be my co-artistic director. I was like, yes, I've been waiting for you to ask this, Rach. <laughs> um, so kind of since then, we've like been working together as like an equal partnership. We we did a few of the cabaret shows online during lockdown. 
and we became a limited company in March. And then we've also been working on a digital theatre project where we have like monologues, duologues, little scenes like written and performed by sex workers. So that's going to be online um, on the 16th, 19th and 20th of September. Mm. Um, And then we also did another live show back in June. We came back and did our live cabaret show and we've got another one um, on the 23rd of September. It was supposed to be in August, uh, but then I had COVID. So we had to postpone it. But yeah, it will be, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but 23rd of September at Bethnal Green Working Men's Club, which is also Bisexual Visibility Day. Hooray. So <laughs> many visible bisexuals. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So going forward, are the aims to like create paid work for sex workers? Yeah, yeah, definitely. While... Paid creative work for sex workers, um, mm. showcasing our work, just supporting sex workers, like nurturing our creativity, being able to write about sex work and share our own stories because a lot of the time other people will write about sex workers and have no idea what it's actually like to work in the sex industry. So it's about taking back control of our narratives. Do you think that there's something that comes out of working with other sex workers on creative projects that can't be replicated in other places? Yeah, I do think that that there's a massive just sense of bonding and community as soon as you start working with other sex workers like because you understand each other's experiences it's just amazing to just be so able to relate to other people and like Mm. not not have people be like what the fuck like we'll do a writing exercise and then you know we'll we'll have a different experience of like maybe having an, an experience with a client or like some stigma we've had to face or whatever and other people will just get it so yeah definitely and I just think it's so important for us to to be friends with each other and like sex work can be really isolating especially if you only do like independent escorting or if you only work online um so it's really good for us to have that community and to be brought together by making art together yeah and that isolation is not helped by the partial decrim that means working together is exactly exactly it's fucking crazy it's like we could have a threesome with a guy and that would be totally legal or someone could pay us to have a threesome and film it and put it online and that would be totally legal. But if he paid both of us to have sex with him, that's when it becomes illegal. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just so ridiculous. You mentioned Sexquisite coming up and moves with Cyber Tease. With those or with you personally, what are projects you have coming up that you're most excited about? Um, yeah, I'm definitely excited about the putting together the theatre project that I told you I was working on. So probably once this is out, um, the screening might have passed, but there might be another opportunity to actually buy a ticket to watch it later. So, um, yeah, I'll have to keep you updated with that. But even today we were working together and like watching all the recordings and seeing what would go after what. And it's just so exciting seeing like sex workers tell their stories and seeing sex workers acting. And some of them had no previous acting experience. So like, it's just amazing. We're, we're just such incredible people and the world needs to see that and the world needs to acknowledge that. Yeah. So yeah, all just all that kind of stuff. Just, I just want to keep, supporting other sex workers making sex worker-led art 
maybe do some comedy gigs, see how it goes. <laughs> I want to create some new burlesque acts as well that I'm working on. So, yeah, lots of exciting things happening. What's your favourite thing to do on stage? Um, I do quite like when I do my cake sitting acts. That's really fun. <laughs> Can we describe this? So I have this burlesque act where I see a cake and I'm like, oh, I want to eat the cake, but maybe I shouldn't eat the cake, but the cake's seducing me. And in the end, I, meet, I eat the cake. But then me and the cake fall in love and like, we go on a date together. But then the cake tells me that it wants me to, they want me to sit on them because they're non-binary my cake and um <laughs> they're like um and I'm like what oh my god so then I like take my skirt off and then I give the cake a lap dance and then I <laughs> sit on the cake and then I jump up and down the cake people lose their minds <laughs> favorite song or artist to dance to I quite like at the moment dancing to bad things by Jace Everett Cool. It's a very classic kind of like sexy pole song. Weirdest experience on the pole or on stage generally? Uh, I used to work at this club in Nottingham and they used to make us go on the pole like so many times in one night. And one day I was eating some fried chicken. Um, so I just got on stage and sat there and ate my fried chicken instead of pole dancing. <laughs> wow, that's like a piece of avant-garde right? performance what art. <laughs> Did people tip? No. <laughs> I'd love to recreate this with you one day. Oh my God, let's do it. Carmen Ali, aka April Fiasco, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a great episode. It's so good to talk to you. And Cybertees and Sexquisite people follow this. Yeah. If you want to follow us on social media, it's at Cybertees underscore at Sexquisite.events. Um, this is for Instagram. And then mm -hmm. you can follow me on Instagram at Carmen Jean Alley or at April Fiasco. And if you find one of them, you can basically find everything else. So like, <laughs> just Google me and you'll find all my stuff. You heard her, find her, support sex workers, decriminalize sex work, and go and enjoy some amazing sex worker driven creative stuff. Woo! Paul the Other One was produced and hosted by me, Shandoxy, with original music by Amelia Baylor. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Shandoxy. You can buy the pot a coffee or give us a shout out on social media. Thank you. That is mega appreciated. Also, if any of these conversations inspire you to take a poll class or to get on stage, please tag us in your videos using the handle at poll the other one, plus whichever guest it was who got you on the hot rod. That would make our lives. Thanks for listening. Have fun on all your sexy stick adventures and see you later. Po, 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 the other one.